here's the word, and this isn't my sermon. This is a prelude to a sermon, but unless the Lord wants to make it a sermon. But it ministered to me. Maybe it will minister to you. But it's, it's simply this. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And, and, and here's why this passage came to me as uh, Tony was, was uh, ministering to us. And that was ministering. That was really anointed. Um, it's just this. We've been talking about warfare. We're going to continue to talk about warfare. And about the authority that we have in Christ and how we're called to continue to work that Jesus did and vanquish enemies. And we've been given authority to rout demons and to live as more than conquerors and all that great stuff. And what's always bugged me since, since early on in my Christian walk when I first discovered that the church was not a utopia was that it doesn't seem like that is real. And I shared this a couple weeks ago. The enemy sometimes uses that. It's, it's, you look around at the church, and, and, and uh, what you see is a lot of ordinary people like me and you. And churches, and, and this has bugged me, and maybe it's bugged you. I'm sure it's bugged you at times. They've got their problems. They've got politics. They've got petty people. Sometimes they've got petty pastors. Sometimes there's abuse there. A lot of you come from places where you just got beat up at church. I made a commitment to the Lord about 15 years ago or something where I said, okay, Lord, look it. Your, your word says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So your word says that I'm supposed to uh, belong to a church. So I'm going to do that in spite of the church. I, I'll be a Christian in spite of the church. And that, that's the position I got at. I had given up at it ever ministering to me. I did it out of commitment. And maybe some of you are in that same situation. Because Woodland Hills included, there ain't no perfect church. In fact, Woodland Hills included, there's no church that comes close to being perfect. In fact, Woodland Hills included, there's no church that doesn't have a lot of sin and pettiness and other stuff in it. And so I'm sitting there wondering, well, wait, how is this? An army. Mighty warriors, you know, and demon slayers. And let's say, you know, Lord, couldn't you do a little better? I mean, like, Lord, you know, you're an underachiever. <laughs> you got... You, you can, you can arrange it a little better this program. The church is supposed to conquer the world. Yeah, right. We can't even worship together sometimes. And then the, the word comes to me as I hear this song that that is exactly the point. That is exactly the point. You, know, you wonder why, I wonder why sometimes the Lord does some really funky things throughout the Bible. Stuff that seems out and out silly. Samson grows his hair long and gets real strong. Why? Samson slays a thousand Philistines with a, with, a, with a jawbone. Well, Lord, why don't you just do it the normal way? I mean, have an earthquake swallow the Philistines up. Why have uh, uh, Samson slay a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey? That's what the Bible says. It seems silly. And David slaying Goliath with a little slingshot and a pebble. Oh, well, come on, God, why don't you just zap him? I mean, why don't you shriek him into a midget first? That would be impressive. Oh, <laughs> uh, whoop! Oh, you have a road. Turn him into a midget. Then zap him. And God could do that. He's got the power to do that. He's got the might to do that. Why does he use such silly stuff to win his battles? And the answer, I believe, is that God is so powerful. God is so victorious. God is so confident of his ability to handle all of his foes as formidable and mighty as they are in our eyes that God wants to intentionally use 
foolish things, weak things, stupid things, small things, petty things, to confound the wise, to confound the strong, to tear down strongholds, because that's what gives him all the more glory. If God can win the battle using losers like this, then God can really win a battle, praise God. Amen. And I never, I never seen this before, that the very thing that used to always bug me about the church at large, and I'm just being honest here, the church at large, the church across the world, it's got a lot of stuff in it. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to try to make ourselves look better than we are. We just are the way we are. And now I see that that's exactly what glorifies God. We're the little pebble in, in, in God's sling. And God wants to use something. It's like the Lord dies on the cross. That's foolish enough. He, he, he vanquishes the enemy by dying on the cross. And then he goes one step further in his foolishness to confound the wise and tear down the strong by saying to all the former slaves, those who were formerly in bondage to the enemy, those who had been victimized by the devil for so long, he says, okay, you know what, you guys? Just to be in his face, just to flaunt what I can do, just to show how victorious I am, why don't you guys go in there and finish up the job? Because that's what empowers us. Those, those who were once victims now are empowered to confront the victimizer, to win the battle, and it glorifies God precisely because on the face of it, by the evidence of it, we would never be able to do that in our, in, in, on our own power. We've got... No qualifications for being in this warfare. So if it seems to you silly that we're talking about being more than conquerors, and if it seems to you silly that I'm telling you as a believer, however messed up your life may be, however struggling you may be, that God calls you into warfare, if that seems silly to you, then you're getting the point. Because that's what glorifies God. That's exactly the point. God's chosen by the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> Praise God for that. To save those who believe. I said to some people yesterday in a prayer meeting, I'm so thankful that the qualifications for ministry are so comically low that even I can be into it. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't the sermon. The sermon's this. Uh, Ephesians chapter, chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I just thank God for the Spirit of God that is here. You know, when believers get together, whether it's in small groups, whether it's in large groups, there's a power there, an anointing there, that can just uh, uh, change our life. Preaching addresses the head, but it's the anointing that takes the stuff in the head and brings it into the heart. And thank God for that. You know why we have such a, such a, a good electricity here this morning and this anointing? Because we've got a new set of drums. <laughs> All right, hallelujah. They, no, praise God. I, I, I'm kind of in my heaven back there. Uh, we've, been, we've been borrowing someone's set all this time. And so finally, we, we, we have now arrived. And I want to thank you for letting us use your drums all that time. Praise God. I appreciate it. Beat the tar out of those things. Ephesians chapter 6. Continuing our study on warfare. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Don't be strong in your little pebbles. Don't be strong in your jawbones. Don't be strong in what you think you can sing. Don't be strong in what you think you can preach. Don't be strong in your programs. Don't be strong in your own ingenuity. Be strong in the power of the Lord. If we start trusting anything else, folks, close up shop, shut it down. It's not worth doing. Be strong in the, in the, in the Lord, in the power of his, in his mighty power. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God, not a part of it. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Apparently there's a devil out there like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. Put on the armor to protect yourself. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And therefore, because of all this, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when you're under attack, when you're under bondage, when the enemy is going after you, you're going to be able to stand your ground, not budge an inch. And after you've done everything, to continue standing. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Amen. We'll stop there. Next week we'll talk about the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. This morning, it's the belt of truth. Let's pray. Lord, this is your church. This is your plan. It's a weird one, but we like it. Uh, this is your bride. We are your servants, Lord. And this is your word. And so, Lord, we just want to relinquish as much as we possibly can everything to you. God, I pray that as the worship was out of our hands, but it was in your hands, so also this word would be out of my hands and in your hands. Because no human can make happen what you can make happen. We can aim as good as we can aim, but we'll never slay Goliath in our own power, Lord. And it's a Goliath, in fact, that we're up against. So, Lord, I pray that you would anoint your word, Lord, right now. Anoint it, Lord. Let the power of God come down on your word, Lord. We have enough human thinking, enough human speaking, enough human theologizing, enough human stuff. What we need is you, Lord, and we need nothing but you. And I pray, God, that in this you'd be glorified and nothing but you would be glorified. Lord God, use the, every word, God, to draw attention to you. God, help me. And anything else that would be a potential distraction to become invisible. In your name we pray. Let the power fall. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. I want to, for a moment, pick up what I left off last week. Because it's foundational to everything we're going to be talking about. We ended last week by talking about the importance of listening to God, using David as our illustration. David, even though he had fought the Philistines before, this young, probably 15-year-old king of Israel, though he had fought the Philistines and licked the Philistines before, He's fighting him again. But he doesn't trust in his own power. He stops and he inquires of God whether or not God wants him to fight this battle. Good piece of wisdom right there already. The Lord says, yeah, do it, but he tells him how to do it, when to do it, because there's a spiritual battle going on as well as a physical battle. And so he tells him to go over by the balsam trees and wait until he, he hears the angels marching. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 24. What we saw last week was this. It's crucial that we, as believers, listen. We take time to inquire of the Lord and listen to what He's got to say. A confession of lordship, that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, becomes very empty if, in fact, Jesus Christ isn't the Lord of any particular segment of your life. It's easy to say, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. But then to live your life from morning until sunset on your own will, on your own thinking, on your own power, with your own agendas. The confession that Jesus Christ as Lord has bite, it takes on power to the extent that we made Jesus Christ the Lord of this minute, and now of this minute, and now of the next minute. And what that means for us in practical terms is this. It means listening to what he wants to say to us. If he is the Lord, that means he is the boss. But how is he going to be the boss of our life if we are never open to him telling us anything? What cash value does the lordship of Christ have in our life if, in fact, we never hear him tell us anything 
And so if, in fact, we never do anything that we wouldn't otherwise do if he wasn't Lord of our life. You're following me on this. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice and they'll follow me, John chapter 10. In fact, he says there that that's how they're going to avoid the wolf, interestingly enough. You see, the Lord has got a perspective that we don't have. He sees behind the scenes. He knows his strategies and he knows the strategies of the enemy. And so, like David, he knows how to whip the Philistines when we don't know how to whip the Philistines. And if, in fact, our life is going to reflect his lordship, and if, in fact, our life is going to be in synchronicity with him, if we're going to be doing kingdom work, then it's utterly, utterly imperative that our ears are turned towards him, that we learn how to hear his voice, and in hearing his voice, that we learn how to obey his voice. It's possible to do a lot of great things, and have them come to nothing if, in fact, our strategy for living and our strategy for kingdom work doesn't line up with his strategy and the strategy of what's going on behind the scenes. We've got to learn to listen. We've got to learn to listen. We are, the Bible says, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. A body is useful to a person only when that body listens to what that person's brain is telling it. Telling it. My, my body is utterly of no use to me if it's not going to obey my commands, if it's not listening to me. Do you ever get these weird twitches, you know, you're laying in bed, usually all of a sudden your arm starts to twitch? It, it happens to me. Uh, your arm starts to twitch, you know, you ever get that? It's like, stop it. But it won't stop? It just keeps on, like a, like a reflex kind of thing? Do you ever like just totally spaz out for no reason? Well, it's really embarrassing. But see, the thing is, is that your body there is doing something, but... but it's not listening to the mind. It's not doing what your mind wants it to do. So also the Bible says that we are the body of Christ and Jesus Christ is the head of the body. What does that mean? What does it mean if, in fact, we're not listening to him? If, in fact, you know, see, this is the church in America. It's doing a lot of stuff. It's got a lot of programs. It's got a lot of agendas. It's got a lot of ideas. It's a lot of activity. But unfortunately, a great deal of it is all twitching. It's all just twitching. It, 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 it's, a, it's the body of Christ, all right, but it's not going into battle, doing what it's supposed to do because it's doing its own thing. You see, but it becomes useful to the master when, we, when he in fact becomes our head, when we in fact become his body, and we get our lives in sync with him, and we're listening to him. But see, here's the problem. Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. Jesus said that we're supposed to be soldiers. Like we said last week, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Soldiers stationed in enemy territory who don't get overly involved in civilian affairs. Don't get your occupation and your, your, your attention all uh, focused on, on this world and the things of this world, but have your ear always turned to the captain, the verse says, in order to please the captain. Okay, what good is a soldier if your walkie-talkie's not turned on and the captain can't say it's time to go fight? What good is that if you're just acting like a normal citizen? The problem is that we live in a culture that has systematically indoctrinated us not to hear. God. We live in a culture which in one way or another, in a lot of different ways, has told us that everything that goes on in the inner man, everything that goes on in our heart, and everything that goes on in our mind is our own doing. A lot of secular, non-Christian psychology tells us that we're basically chemical reactions, complex chemical reactions, and everything in our mind, and everything in our heart, everything that we feel, it's all our own doing. We may not believe that with our mind theoretically, but if we believe it in practice, what we have just done, what the enemy has succeeded in doing, is, is turning off the one station that God turns into. In the Bible, whenever God speaks to people, with rare exceptions, he speaks to the inner man, the inner self, the, the, the heart of a person. 
Uh, When God appears to people, the word that's even used in Hebrew, the word vision is the same word they use for dream because it's an internal experience. God's voice isn't a voice that usually can be heard audibly. Now, I hear of God doing that once in a while, but that's not his normal way. Because anybody can hear audibly, but God wants to to, to have his sheep hear him because the sheep have a spiritual ear that other beings, other people do not have. And so God speaks to the inner heart, the inner mind of a person. It's what we call today the mind or maybe even the imagination. It's what we today call hunches or sometimes people get words or sometimes people get pictures. But you see, if you have been sufficiently secularly psychologized, you learn how to censor that. You learn how to censor that. You're walking down the street and all of a sudden there's a little inclination to go over and talk to somebody, but you think, oh, where did I get that silly thought from? Oh, how silly. And we went on, and then all of a sudden you, you, you get a picture of a missionary that, you know, it's like, man, what's that about? But it must have been the pastrami I ate, you know, and you go on. Because there's a conviction that the words and the pictures and the hunches that you get, they're, they're from your past, they're your guilt complex, they're your superego, or the, the, the pastrami that you ate, but they're not, they're not God talking to you. See, here's what's got to happen. We have got to get back in touch with the voice. God has equipped every believer with a heart, with an internal spiritual eye, spiritual ear, to hear and to see what he's telling us to do. What needs to happen is this, and I want to leave you with this challenge. I'm not going to leave you. I'm, this isn't my first closing. But, but, but uh, <laughs> before I get into my sermon, <laughs> Lord help us here, okay, um, it's, it's just this. I challenge you to start paying attention to what the Spirit of God is, is, ta- is telling you. You're not going to hear it with your physical ear, but it will happen in the way of sort of like hunches that you get. Uh, Start paying attention to what you see in the inner man, what you hear in the inner man, what you feel in the inner man or the inner person. Begin to pay pay attention to the spiritual world. And when you get an impression like that, ask yourself the question, what fruit will come of this? What kingdom fruit might this bear? And if it could bear kingdom fruit, I encourage you to act on it. Step out of it. Let God move you out of your comfort zone. You all of a sudden got an impression to go talk with somebody, go talk with them. You get up at 2 in the morning and you got an impression to pray, then, then just pray. You got a, a feeling you want to, you're supposed to call somebody or what have you. You're supposed to bring a supper over to somebody. Begin to respond to that. And in time, you begin to recognize what is God's voice and what is your voice. You begin to be able to recognize the Master's voice. And the value of that is this, folks. God builds his kingdom largely through God-ordained coincidences. You begin to respond to this. You get people who begin to actually pay attention to those things that other, other people are all dismissing. They censor that stuff. But you get a bunch of people who are starting to get connected to the head. And you know what? The body begins to function like one body. It begins to get coordinated. Things start to happen that you couldn't possibly have programmed. God-ordained coincidences. I'm sure some of you have had this happen to you. Where you got a hunch, you go with it, and something great comes of it that wouldn't have happened if you didn't obey that hunch. Let me give you one example. A couple years ago, I was at, at, at Bethel. I, I was uh, talking to a young lady that had a lot of doubts. This, this young lady was uh, plagued by doubts. Constantly had questions about whether Christianity was true or not. And I like that stuff. I live for that stuff. I, I had a class on apologetics where I teach the defense of, of Christianity. And she was in that class. But she never got convinced. And so I'd pile on more proof. And she still wouldn't be convinced. And I'd pile on more arguments. And I'd respond to her arguments. And for some reason, she never would get convinced. She never could just really believe that this was, in fact, true. One day we were in my office and talking a little bit, and all of a sudden I got a hunch, a picture, a word, or what have you, that this wasn't at all about reasoning. For, for about a year now, I'd been 
shooting at the wrong thing. This wasn't about logic. It wasn't about evidence. There's a spiritual thing going on here. So I stopped and I said, uh, would, could I pray right now? You know, here, talking for a year and I hadn't done this yet. Uh, would you mind if I, we just kind of prayed together? You know, uh, I just feel like there's something else going on here. So we prayed. And almost immediately, I sensed a, uh, a struggle going on here. I could see in her body a kind of a physical, uh, some physical manifestations that I've learned to associate with sometimes demonic strongholds getting off of people. Uh, you know, it's, it's like they hang on and you've got to rip them out and it causes some kind of physical backlash. And so she began to shake a little bit and, and this other kind of stuff. And I began to sense even as I'm doing this, it was good news. I thought, you know, good, I'm hitting the nail on the head. So I kept on going forward with it and I kept on getting more and more direct with my prayer. But then all of a sudden I began to feel like I was over my head because the thing got a little bit out of hand. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but it's like, what am I really up against? You know, I thought I was wrestling against flesh and blood. Turns out I'm, a, I'm wrestling against a principality and power, and it looks like a big one, and I don't know if I can handle this. What makes it worse is that I'm in a Bethel office, and I don't know if they're okay with this. Uh, it's like uh, Professor Boyd doing demons in his office. Uh, I, I don't know. I began to worry about that. You know, what happens if this, if, you know, all of a sudden it began to occur to me. You know, a lot of things could go wrong here. Plus, I have a class to do in about a half hour. What happens if, if, if you know, she's kind of losing it here? I just leave, tell a janitor or something? What do I do? <laughs> I don't know. But I began to feel a little bit overwhelmed. I got kind of nervous about this stuff. So I'm really praying, oh, Lord, you got to help me, you got to help me. And I remember looking at my watch because I had a class I had to go to. Well, in a short while, maybe five, six, seven minutes, all of a sudden the atmosphere lifted, it got light, there was a peace that came into place, she settled down, and it seemed like we had gotten through to a strong, gotten a stronghold out of her, okay? All of this is going on a hunch. The next day, a young lady, a student, comes to my door, knocks on the door, and she just says, Greg, I, I, I'm wondering, were you in some kind of trouble yesterday? And I go, no, had a good day. She goes, are, are you sure? You know, I, I, in the morning, towards the morning, around 10, 10.30. And all of a sudden I thought, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I was, uh, I forgot, at first I thought maybe she could hear me outside the door, like maybe we were too loud. I said, yeah, uh, well, but I wasn't doing a demon. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we were uh, debating. No, I, I said, well, as a matter of fact, we, we uh, yeah, I, I was kind of in a, in a, in a struggle there. Why? She said because she was down in a lab, some science lab, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she got this burden for me. Uh, a, a real sense that she had to, uh, call it a hunch, call it a picture, call it a word, I don't know what you call it, but a sense that she was supposed to pray for me. So she, she told the other people that she was working with that she had to leave. They thought she got ill or something. She went to the chapel and started interceding for me. And she said for about 15 minutes, I just held, had this fire in me to pray for you. And see, that's the kind of thing where you just... And she said it was right around 10.30, and I then remembered looking at my watch, and that's exactly the time when I felt this, this bombardment. That's the kind of thing, believer, when you, when, when you see stuff like that, when you hear stuff like that, when, when, when God's working like this, that is the body in action. It's the kind of thing that just makes you go, yes! That, this, that, that's the reality of God coming through. That's where the confession of lordship really becomes incarnate. It really takes on flesh. But it means moving out of your comfort zone sometimes. It means being willing to do some things that you otherwise wouldn't do. It means listening to the hunches that you get or the words that you get or the pictures that you get. Sometimes it maybe means doing things that other people might think are a little bit unusual. But the dividends are great. Now most of the times when you do this, you'll never see the consequence. You just got to believe that God's in it. But sometimes you'll do it 
You'll pray for the person, you'll intercede for the person, you'll go over there, you'll give them the call or what have you, and bam, all of a sudden it becomes clear why you're there. This is kingdom life, folks. This is when soldiers begin to listen to the commander. This is sheep hearing the voice of the shepherd. He knows what's going on behind the scenes. We don't. We have to become utterly, utterly, utterly reliant on that voice, learning to listen to that voice. Begin to take the courage to step out. If it bears kingdom fruit, go with it. See what happens with it. Amen. Now about this belt business. And now again to the sermon. The belt. Okay. And this is going to be shorter than you think. I also have a bridge I want to sell you. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> Once you are in a position where you know that the command to do warfare comes from the captain, now you've got to put on the armor. And that's what we're going to be talking about the next couple weeks. The armor, the, the, the clothing that you need to have when you're going into battle. And this is stuff that, for Paul, is stuff you put on every day. It's not like put this on you know, when you're eight and then wear it the rest of your life. This is a daily thing. I had to get dressed this morning. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's a hassle, but, but I had to get dressed. And every day I got to get dressed. And it, it bugs me. I wish there was, you know, I just didn't go to bed in my clothes. I wouldn't have to get dressed every day. But it's one of the facts of life. Every day you got to get dressed. And so it is spiritually. We got to get dressed up every day. But when you get used to it, it happens automatically. Like most people don't have to get all bent out of shape about getting dressed this morning. It's kind of, you know, it's expected and you get used to it. You do it. Trouble is we're a lot better at doing that physically than we are spiritually. The first thing that Paul mentions, it's not the first thing you put on, it's actually the last thing, but it's the first thing that Paul mentions in his verse is the belt. And the belt, he says, is the belt of truth. Now a belt in the ancient world was what you put around your toga, as I said a couple weeks ago. It holds the toga in. Without a belt, you're going to trip a lot. Without a belt, your arm's going to you know, be, be flopping against your toga. You're not going to be able to fight effectively. Without a belt, you have nothing to hang your sword on, and the sword is the word of God. Everything hangs upon having that belt. Paul says the belt is the belt of truth. The word truth, in Greek, as we said a couple weeks ago, is the word aletheia. It's the word openness, or honesty, or uncoveredness. What does Paul mean when he says... Wrap the belt of honesty, openness, uncoveredness around you. Hold your life together with this. What is getting at, among other things, is, is, is this. If we are going to cash in on what the Bible says is available to us, in terms of joy, in terms of power, in terms of peace, in terms of victory, if we are going to be the warriors that God wants us to be, it is imperative that we wrap around ourselves on a daily basis truth, honesty, and what that means more than anything else is an honesty before God and an honesty before ourselves. All right? An honesty with God and an honesty with ourselves. If we don't get this point right, nothing else is going to be right. This is foundational. Now, here's the thing. The reason why this is so crucial is this. All of us struggle with sin. Big, little, I don't know, but we struggle with it. It's part of this fallen world. If we don't learn how to deal with that, we are going to be handicapped. The way you deal with this is truth. Sin causes us to hide. All right? You look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the first thing that sin did in the Garden of Eden, what happens? First thing they do is they hide. They hide. And it's stupid when you think about it. You're talking about God, supreme being, can see everything, but they hide behind a bush. And then they hide, try to hide behind their excuses. Sin makes us want to hide. We hide for fear, we're afraid of God, because we know that sin is antithetical to God. We hide because of shame, because we know that it's not supposed to be there, and we don't want to look at God's face, so we want to hide from that. We hide because we like it sometimes. 
We're afraid that if God sees it, which of course he does, but we're afraid that if we know that he sees it, he'll want to take it away. And so we just sort of have it there. You see? Do you ever, like when you pray, and don't make me feel alone up here, okay? So, But when you pray, you pray around issues. Uh, you know, it's like uh, uh, God says, um, Greg, I want to talk about uh, your interactions with your wife today. And just about then I go, oh, Lord, I pray for Steve Van Sickle. And Lord, I just do intercession for him and give him victory. And the Lord says, that's nice, that's nice. But now about your uh, fight with your wife. Oh, but Lord, my kids need protection. And, and, and I can pray about a million different things, but God keeps on saying, okay, what about this, what about this? And it's like, well, I don't want to talk about that now. Tomorrow. The guy says, no, what about this? But see, you can actually pray around issues. In fact, you can get so good at praying around issues, you don't even know you're praying around them anymore. You just systematically censor that. And all the while, God's trying to call you back to that. You see, sometimes it's like that in a marriage. You know, do you ever have that in, a, in, in, in a, those of you who are married, uh, where you have a fight or there's some problem, some ongoing problem, and, and you, it's like you get so tired of dealing with it that you just decide not to deal with it. And so you try to, like, make everything nice and, and, and cover it up so it's like you got a big problem there, but you say, oh, did you have a good day, honey? You know, how's the house going? How's the kids going? How's the job going? How's the, you know, got a new dress going and oh, nice weather we're having? And what about our dog? What about the dog? We look, you talk about all this stuff, but all the while there's this issue. And, 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 and you know, you're just trying to, like, like I don't notice it. Do you know? I don't, you, I don't notice it. I don't see anything. It's the same way with our relationship with God because it's unpleasant, it's yicky, it's, it's smelly, and we don't want it, so we try to get around it. There's a couple of things you can do to try to get out of dealing with, with, with sin issues in your life, with tough issues in your life. Okay? One thing you can do is, is to put on, there's a couple belts you can wear. You can put on a belt of religion or a belt of false prayer. That's what I was just doing. But a belt of religion, a belt of religion, what this does is, is simply this. One way to get out of dealing with, with uh, issues in your life is to focus on other things. One great way to deal with, with, with uh, 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 internal issues, a lack of love, or, uh, unforgiveness, or bitterness, or whatever, is to focus on external things. Okay? Define righteousness, define righteousness in terms of external things. This is what religion does. Get a list of do's that you do and don'ts that you don't, and focus on those. Become obsessive about those. Get into real deep discussions about when exactly do you cross the line? What exactly should Christians do and not do? What kind of restaurants can you go to and can't go to? What kind of movies can you go to and can't go to? Make sure that you harp on people for this and that and the other thing. And you got your list of do's. And you don't have your, you got your list of don'ts. And by really getting into that, by making that your source of life, by talking about it and preaching about it and condemning those who don't do it, well, you just got a really great way of distracting from the real issue in your life. Find me anybody who's obsessed with external things, and I'll find you somebody who's run, running away from internal things. And that's why you can go to places and get saved even in places where you got people who are on the surface whited sepulchers. They're really polished. It looks good. They have their do's and don'ts, and they do it, and they're proud about it, and they tell you about it. But there's no love, and there's no joy, there's no peace, and there's no life, and there's bitterness, and all this un ungodly stuff. But they don't even notice it. They think that they're doing it because they're so focused on external stuff. Don't wrap a cloak of religion around you to run away from the stuff you've got to deal with. Deal with the stuff. Here's another way. Here's another belt you can wear. You can hold your life together with this. Belt of rationalizations. Not, not that anyone here ever does that, but I've heard it in other churches. People do that. 
So I figure we, in case there's visitors, I got to talk about it. <laughs> We're, we are so great at this, especially in our culture where everybody is a victim, you know. I mean, no one's responsible for anything. That's the amazing thing about it. It's like, it's like everyone borrows money and no one ever owns any. Everyone borrows excuses and no one ever owns them. And so, you know, we are great at finding rationalizations, justifications for the stuff in our life that shouldn't be there. Surely if anybody knew what I have to put up with, they'd understand. Surely when the Bible talked about fornication, it didn't have our kind of love in mind. When God told, talked about obeying the laws of the land, you know, he didn't, he didn't mean paying taxes to this government. I'm just going to cut a couple corners here, you know. And, but in my case, why? Well, you know, I do so much to support the government anyways. And I'm not getting paid enough anyways. My, love, my wife doesn't love me enough anyways. My kids are mean to me anyways. And anyways, anyways, if anyone understood my particular situation, what I got to go through, my, my situation is unique. You see, you understand this? I, I get extraordinary uh, circumstances that disqualify the ordinary things, you know, from going there. And surely God understands and blah, 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 blah. That goes back to the Garden of Eden too. What happens? They hide, number one. Number two, they start blaming one another. Well, it's not my fault. You gave me the woman. I love the way Adam does it. This is your fault, God. You gave me the woman. Do you ever do that? You blame God? Hey, you're the one running this show. And then the woman says, well, you, the snake. The snake did it to me. Passing the buck, passing the buck. If you're in that mentality, and it's all over the place, and even in the church in, in, in this day and age, if that is your mentality, you're going to be in a perpetual state of defeat and a perpetual state of immaturity because you're never going to own up to your own responsibility and deal with the issues that God wants to deal with. Growth comes when we own the stuff in our life. And I'm not saying that what happened to you isn't, isn't bad. I'm not saying that you're totally to blame for the problems in the world or whatever. Some people have that. They go to the opposite extreme and do that. But what I am saying is this. We've got to own up to the stuff that is really our stuff. And we've got to be honest before God and come to him and say, this is really where I'm at, and give him a chance to deal with it. One really dysfunctional thing that's going on in the church today is something like this. And this is of the enemy. Some people say, well, gosh, you know, you're talking about the sin stuff, and I'm not feeling really good about this right now. You know, I usually leave church feeling good about myself, but right now I'm not feeling good about myself. And you're supposed to make me feel good about it. You know, that's your job. That's your job. That's why I pay you. You're supposed to make me feel good when I leave church because I got a bad job, and, and, and I go to church to feel good. And now you're talking about sin, and I don't feel good anymore. And I thought you believed in grace. See, grace is like, well, wait, if you believe in grace, then, then grace means that God loves me no matter what, and that means that, that no matter what I do, God's going to love me, so I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. But see, here's the thing. That is such, read Romans 6, that is such a distortion and a misunderstanding of what it's all about. It is, it is exactly grace. It is pure grace. It is God's passionate, dying on the cross love for you that leads him to not let you go on with that stuff in your life. God loves you too much not to nag you and bother you and maybe even use preachers to do it to get rid of the stuff in your life that you know ought not be there. Because what God sees, but we don't always see very clearly, is that sin is bad for us. It really is bad for us. We weren't wired for sin. We weren't created for sin. It's not part of our image of God stuff. We don't, on one level, do sin real well. Now, we do it habitually, but we don't do it very well in this sense. 
Our bodies, our psyches, our souls, our emotions don't handle sin, sin well. And where there is unconfessed sin in our life, where there is this stuff that we try to hide from ourselves, hide from our spouse, hide from God, where there is that stuff, it's going to pollute our life. It, it causes us so we can't hear God very well. It causes us to get weird pictures of God. It causes us to, it, it pollutes our relationship. And when there's that stuff in our life, we never walk in the full power, the full peace, the full joy, the full victory, the full dynamic relationship that God has planned for us. There's this pollutant in the way. It's like some kind of clog in the faucet that won't let the water come through. So also, God wants to flow through you. He wants to live his life through you. He wants to have his character manifested in you. But you got this pet thing in your life that you don't want to let go of because you're saying, because you're afraid, or maybe because you like it so much. And God's constantly saying, let's talk about that. Let's deal with that. Let's get truthful. He wants to deal with it. There's only one way to grow, and that's dealing with the stuff that's keeping us from growing. Deal with it. Don't run from it. And when we go into battle with this stuff in our life, we got this thing that we know that God's wanting to deal with, and when we go into battle with this stuff in our life, we go in wounded. And we give the enemy a lot of ammunition. Man, he jumps on that stuff. He jumps on that stuff. Here's another thing that Christians sometimes get confused with. There's a world of difference here between condemnation, which is of the devil, and conviction that is from God. And a lot of times believers get the two mixed up. I talked to a person not too long ago who came forward and says, you know, I, I, need, I need you to pray for me because, and I knew this person, so I had a little bit of a relationship here. I wouldn't have said this if I didn't have a relationship with him because the only authority any of us have is a relationship. The kid's forward and says, you know, I, 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 the, the enemy's on me. I'm, I'm just feeling, you know, the enemy all over me. I said, well, well, what's the problem? He goes, well, I'm feeling guilt and condemnation that's tearing me apart. I said, well, what lies is he telling you? Oh, I hate that bugger. He's always lying to us. What lies is he telling you? He says, well, he's making me feel really bad for this and this and this and this and this. And this stuff was really ungodly stuff. I said, oh, so you're feeling bad about that stuff? He goes, yeah, oh, get the devil off my back. And I just said, you know, I want to just lay this on you here gently, but what if that was God doing that? Well, God doesn't make me feel lousy about that. I thought God loved me. I sometimes, out of love for my kids, will make them feel very, very miserable. <laughs> I love them so much, I will not let them go on in the stuff that they got. So I lovingly confront them, and there is a godly form See, there's a godly form of, of, of misery. Look at if I, if I get my toe chopped off, is it good news or bad news that I feel pain? Well, it's good news. Because if I didn't feel the pain, I wouldn't know it's chopped off. I might bleed to death. Pain is the way that the body says, you know what, there's something wrong going on here. That's a good thing. That's a God thing. Conviction is simply the pain of the soul that says, you know what, something's going on here and it's not of God. Something's going on here, and it ought not to be going on here. There's a kind of a sickness. There's a kind of disease. Something's wrong. It sends a pain signal. That's conviction. Conviction is about, here's the difference. Conviction is about what you do. It's, it's about what you think. It's about something external to yourself. It's about what's going on in your life. God says, the Holy Spirit says, this ought not to be there. We've got to clean shop. We've got to deal with this stuff. We've got to get it out of here so you can begin to walk in the power and the glory that I died to give you. Condemnation. It's not about what you do, it's about who you are. See, here's what the enemy does. The enemy doesn't say you do this or you do that. Because that's either true or false. You either do do it or don't do it. The enemy, it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. 
And when there's a voice that says not you're doing something ungodly, but, the, but a voice that says you are an ungodly slime, you are unlovable, you are just uh, so unworthy God doesn't love you, you just are a piece of fungus, uh, you'll never measure up to anybody's standards, blah, 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 blah. That is of the enemy because it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. And see, there's not a thing you can do about who you are, but there's a lot you can do about what you do and about what you think and about what your attitudes are. And God, out of his love, comes and talks about our conviction. He convicts us in order to get our lives to change. And that, his, you guys, that is grace. That, uh, what I just said there, and maybe it doesn't feel like it to you, but that's good news. Move out of the sin. Good news. Deal honestly with the stuff. That's good news. That's God's love. That's God's grace. To get you to conform to the image of God. Do you believe that's good news? That's good news. Amen. Praise God. It's all predicated. This is, this is in, close, in closing. I have to come a real joke around here when I say in closing. It's even in the sermon title. Mary put that in there. I still don't know what it's like to work with the same staff. But as the worship team gets ready, we're going to end with, a, with, with, with a, another chorus here. Oh, I, I, here's the thing. When the Lord convicts you, it's not about who you are. It's about what you do because what you're doing is inconsistent with who you are, okay? You got sin in your life. You know it's there. God's telling you it's there. Get rid of it. Deal with it. But the reason he tells you to get rid of it is because it's not who you are. Who you are, and this is another piece of truth you've got to wrap around yourself every day, is the truth of who you are in Christ in spite of the fact of your sin, in spite of the fact that you struggle. Who you are in Christ is simply this. It's everything we've been studying in the book of Ephesians. Loved with an everlasting love, a child that Jesus Christ died for, holy in Christ Jesus, that's what's true about you. That's what's true about you. The enemy will say you're something different, but that's what's true about you. You gotta wrap, you gotta get dressed with that every morning. Get dressed with that. Put it on your mind. Put it in your heart. Meditate on it over and over again. Your love with an everlasting love. That's what's true about you. Get dressed with that. Let that hold your life together. That's the truth about who you are and about who God is. And when you know that, you can be truthful with God and with yourself. Because you're true, you have the truth about who God is and about yourself. Wrap yourself with the truth that in Christ you're filled with his spirit. Wear that every day. Wrap yourself with the truth that in Christ you've got a peace that passes understanding, a joy that's unspeakable. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in high places, the scripture says. That's the truth. You get up in the morning, you put on that belt, and you put it on really tight. And you say, I got that one. I got it down pat. Memorize it. Think about it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Heard of a person here at Woodland Hills just the other day who, who uh, got, would put all these truths in the, uh, that, that, that's in the Bible about who he is. Someone's having a heart attack. And... Uh, 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 he wrote them out on, on, on some cards, and, and whenever, whenever he's in the car, he looks at those cards, he memorizes it. Because the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's putting on the truth, putting on the truth on a daily basis. One of the things that's true, in spite of the fact that it doesn't look like it, is that we're, we're warriors. And in Christ, we have the, the authority to rise up against the enemy. We have the authority to do a David thing on a Goliath. We have the authority, the Bible says, and we believe it because it's true. This, this is one of the things we put around us. We have the authority to, in Christ, put a, ten, a thousand to flight. Two of us can put 10,000 legions. Legions, whole armies can be set fleeing. Do you believe that? Amen.